Awesome. Okay, like we said, today starts our Advent series. And uh, this year we have subtitled it, The Weary World Rejoices. As I mentioned last week, I, I said to you guys, does anyone, does anyone feel a little bit tired, a little bit weary over the last year, two years, all the stuff that's happened, everything that we've gone through, everything we've experienced? I could say that it seems the world is a little bit weary, but there is much to rejoice about, and so I'm so glad that we're walking in to this Christmas season so that we can refocus our hearts and refocus our minds on the, the beauty the power, the gravity of Christmas, and the coming of our Savior. In Advent, right, it's about uh, the arrival of a notable person. If you were to look up what Advent actually means, right, it's anticipation. It's about the waiting. It's about the excitement for what's to come. And for us believers, of course, we know that this is all around Christmas, it's about that babe in the major, the savior of the world, the eternal God, the one who came down, put on flesh in the most humble of ways, and he made his dwelling among us. He lives a sinless life, and that sinless life becomes our righteousness, the righteousness in which he clothes his people by faith, his brutal death on the cross by faith becomes our atonement and our covering washing away all of our sins and making us whiter than snow. And then his glorious resurrection becomes our resurrection and our life eternal. This is what we're anticipating. This is what we're waiting for. This is what we're talking about today, the coming of salvation to the hearts of mankind. See, I think kids have a better idea of the heart of Advent than adults do many times, especially around the Christmas season. I think they understand it. They understand that hope and excitement around Christmas more than us adults. Us adults, sometimes we're just too busy, too busy for our own good. We look at Christmas and we see all the dollar signs. We see all the expenses. We see all those expensive turkeys and hams and gifts and presents and I don't know about you, but I become a little stressed. Kids, you don't got stress. They're sitting there going, Christmas vacation is coming. I got no school. I can rest and sleep in. And when I wake up on the 25th, there'll be Christmas presents under the tree. I'm going to run down the stairs, look under the tree, see all those gifts, and I'm going to run into mom and dad's room before it's even light out. I'm going to wake them up because I'm so excited because there's presents under the tree. I think kids get an idea, have a better idea of the excitement and the anticipation that's supposed to be with this season that I think some of us adults have lost over the years. The consumer, consumeristic nature of our society it's, it, it, it's really unfortunate, right? You ever get to those family gatherings, right? And you know you were supposed to buy a gift for them and they were supposed to buy a gift for you. So you gave them a $50 gift card and they gave you a $50 gift card and you thought, what did we just do? What was this all about? What was the thoughtfulness behind all of this? But kids, giving gifts, receiving gifts, they seem to understand. And so in this series, for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the traditional themes that go along with Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve service, this Advent wreath that we have here. 
This Advent wreath actually uh, goes back to about the 15th century German Lutherans. And actually the modern ones that we have are a couple centuries after that. Right? Where you have hope and peace and joy and love and of course the Christ candle in the middle when the light of the world has come. Like I said, each week we're going to focus in on one of those themes. Today we focus in on hope, as Josh has said. So if you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to read just about five verses there, starting in verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all the people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, again we come before you, and I ask for humble hearts today. I ask for my own heart to be humbled before you, your word, and your Holy Spirit. Lord God, change me. And God, I make that prayer, and I hope that these folks in this auditorium make that prayer this morning as well. Let us not grow too weary in this season. Let us not grow too weary in this life. Let us not give up hope. And dear Lord, God, help us not hope in other things except you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. My prayer there, I mentioned that we wouldn't become weary, that we would not grow weary. Because when you grow weary, you can tend to lose hope. Any of you tired of politics and politicians? Yep, audible yeses in the room. Any of you tired of news and clickbait media spin? Any of you tired of outrage and cancel culture? Are any of you exhausted and tired of being inundated with constant bad news? You need Christmas. You need Advent. You need the heart of this season by the power of the Holy Spirit to be sown into your weary heart. You ever feel like, why do I even try? Have you ever cleaned the house and 30 seconds later, your little tornadoes that are offspring of yours have just undone what you did? Right? And you think to yourself, why do I even try? Washing the car? I love a clean car, but I don't ever do it. I don't ever wash my car. Once in a while, I'll like, take the time to actually go through a car wash. And part of it is, is because I think to myself, it's just going to be dirty five miles down the road. Why do I even try? That What's the use? Why do we even try mentality can lead to hopelessness. It's why so many people, especially in the world, and even in the church, we choose uh, pragmatics. Things that work, things that get things done over principles so many times. Instead of being principally driven, centered on the word of God, 
operating and moving only by his spirits and tethered to his word, operating out of principles, those good, godly, biblical principles, sometimes we don't see the fruit. Sometimes they don't seem to work right away in the time that I need them to work. So instead of choosing those principles, walking by the Spirit and the Word of God, I'll choose what works. I'll choose pragmatics. Just get things done many times. You ever feel like it's never going to happen? It's a good way to lose hope. Any Vikings fans in here? It's never going to happen. I'm sorry. The prayer team, make your way. Let's pray for these people. My wife and I, when we first started dating, we met in Bible school. Uh, actually, we met just, just before that, just before she started in Bible school. Uh, I was in a group that uh, was touring around, a music group that was touring around, and uh, we visited her church, one of our first stops. So I actually technically first met her there. But we really got to know each other at Bible school, at North Central University up in Minneapolis. And um, I may be the only guy in history to be deeply, and when I say deeply, I mean deeply entrenched in the dreaded friend zone. I may be the only guy to actually get out and to actually land the girl. Okay, I maybe, I'm not sure, but I was, so my wife and I, we knew each other for a long time, and I thought she was beautiful. I thought she was just, and she loved Jesus. Our friendship, the way that it started, like we would sit after chapel, we had to go to chapel every day, and after chapel, we would just sit and talk about the things of the Lord. It was awesome. And just a little backstory, before this, I had dated horribly. And when I mean horribly, I meant pretty good. Like, I dated a, a lot of girls, and I was selfish and immature, and finally I threw my hands up in the air, and I thought, I stink at this, and so I need to stop, and so I stopped. And for like two years, I didn't date anybody until I dated my wife, and we got married, and that was history. But I was like, I, I thought this girl was awesome. And so we would hang out all the time. I would take her out to lunch as friends. And uh, we would, like, go out to lunch, and it was all great. And I would pay for things, and she just thought I was sweet and whatever. And she liked another boy at the time, and I had no idea. And I'm lurking. I'm working it. I'm stealthing my way into her heart, and she has no clue. And I realized how deep I was in the friend zone when I treated her to lunch one day. She's like, hey, can I talk to you about something? I was like, okay, cool. This is, this, maybe this is it. She's like, I need your advice. I need some guy's advice. Because I really like this other guy. I really like this guy. And he's just, a, like, he's just not, he's a, right, it's like somebody just took my heart and ripped it out. And threw it. But there was also part of me that was like, hey, hey, there's my answer. Like, I've been, like, trying to let God do his thing, and apparently he's not doing his thing or whatever. I didn't, I didn't give up hope. But at that moment, I thought, is this ever going to happen? This is probably never going to happen. You ever think, is it ever going to happen? It's a good way to lose hope. When something you think is going to happen, something you want to happen so badly doesn't come to fruition in the time you think it should, it's easy to lose hope and to grow weary. I think about those who are waiting for the Messiah. 
I think about the writing of Scripture from Malachi to Matthew. Do you realize that there were 400 years of silence? Right? Where you have God working and operating through the prophets and all the way to, uh, to Malachi. From the last words in Malachi to John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, making way for the Messiah, we had silence for 400 years. 400 years of wondering, will it ever happen? 400 years of, will he ever come? 400 years of, where is our promised Redeemer? It sounds like a good way to grow weary and to lose hope. Christmas, we often focus in on the primary characters of the Christmas story. Mary, Joseph, shepherds, wise men, even angels. There's some really great secondary characters in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to read their portion of the story because I want you to see the heart in the waiting. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, speaks of two people. We're going to talk about Simeon. We're going to look at Anna here in just a moment. Verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. I love that note. Man, if somebody writes something about me, I hope they say that. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. Again, noted, he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought the child to Jesus, okay, this is when Jesus was presented at the temple. He's about four, Jesus is about 40 days old. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And said to, his, uh, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword appears through their own soul also, so that um, thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84 Get this, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God to speak of him who all were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Here we have two characters. Maybe you're not super familiar with them. There's not a whole lot said about them in Scripture. We have these two characters that we often don't focus on this time of year. And these two characters... Simeon, Anna, they're waiting so well. They're waiting for the consolation and redemption of Israel, but they're waiting with hope. They're waiting with worship. They're waiting full of the Holy Spirit of God. They're waiting for the grace of God to appear in Christ Jesus. Our text again today, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all the people, 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God mentioned here is the coming of Jesus, the baby in the manger, the one who brings salvation, Emmanuel, the one who is God with us, God come down, grace, the grace of God unmerited favor, undeserved love, came down in Christ. And that grace, Jesus, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to renounce hoping in the world. Where do you find your hope? Where do you place your hope? Do you place your hope in yourself in your own doings, in your own talents, in your own gifts, in your own intellect and wisdom. The grace of God training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Training us. This is the sanctification of our souls. The enlightening of our eyes to behold Christ and to see him precious. To see Christ as the most valued treasure you could have, that you could hold and also to see the worthlessness of this world. Jesus, the Christ, the grace of God, he alone is hope for mankind. He alone brings salvation to all the people. Like Simeon and Anna who awaited the hope and consolation of Israel and the coming of Jesus, we too, again, are waiting. We're waiting on him. Do you realize that Christ is going to return for us someday? You should be way more excited about that. You should be way more excited about that. I did the, the beautiful thing about 2020 and even 2021 is it has shaken us in a lot of ways. And hopefully we have seen the, the brokenness and hopelessness that this world offers. Right, All the things that this world has offered us is a lie. It is broken and fragile. The systems of men are nothing but, but uh, grasping it. It is just nothing. It will not stand. It's hopeless. That's the beautiful thing of these last two years have shown us. We're waiting on a blessed hope. We're waiting on the return of Christ. And how we wait, how we sit in this moment, how we walk through our days, how we wait on him to return is so, so important. Our text again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all the people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives, upright, godly lives in this present age. Okay, that's all in his first coming. But there's another appearing. Read verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Christ is coming again. He is our blessed hope. He's coming for his church, those who he's called and those who have responded to this call by faith. 
It's my prayer that we would see the grace of God, salvation of God in Christ Jesus, that our blind eyes, that we've been reading about the last few weeks in the Gospel of John, that our blind eyes would be open to behold Christ and to see him as worthy, worthy of our lives, worthy of our faith, worthy of our trust, and worthy of our hope, that we would hope in him and not grow weary in the waiting of our salvation being fully, fully realized. When he comes again and returns for his people. You see, by faith, we are saved now. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have full assurance of salvation that you are saved now. And there is great reward and great benefit right now in this life. The hope that we talk about, that is for you now in this life. But it's also for our future glory. The, the peace that we'll talk about next week is for you right now as you muddle your way through this world, as you walk your way through this world, there is great peace that transcends every circumstance. There is great peace that transcends every tragedy right now that is for you. The love of Christ, the hope of Christ, the peace of Christ, the joy that is found in Christ is for you right now, by faith, because he saved you. But how many of you know we are being saved? And we are being saved. One day fully, we will realize our salvation when Christ returns for us and we see him face to face. And when he makes all things new. Praise be to God. Right, The new birth that we experience in this life, right, John chapter 3 that we've talked about, when he makes us new, our flesh only gives birth to flesh, which leads to death, but the spirit gives birth to spirit, which is life. And we experience that new transformation, that new heart, not just a shined up version of a dirty old you, but a new nature. It's a glimpse of when he returns for us, and he makes all things new. And I'm afraid that a lot of us, we get caught up in the here and now, focusing on what Christ does for us here and now in this life. All those beautiful benefits that I already mentioned, hope and joy and peace in this life. But then this life gets really hard sometimes and tragedy strikes and and suffering happens and this transcendence and the power of those benefits, those qualities gets challenged. When they get challenged... And we're so focused in on this life, we can grow weary. We can doubt. We can maybe even think, what's the use? What happens is, as we grow weary in the waiting, like he's never coming back, like it's never going to happen. I don't know about you, but since I was a little boy growing up in church, right, they've been saying he's coming back. He's coming back someday. And like, I remember my mom telling me, like, I think he's coming back in our lifetime. Like, as you look at the world and you look at the way things are going and just like, it feels like somebody just pushed the apple cart down the hill and we're cruising at this point. But then he doesn't come back. We still have to muddle through this life. And then you go like, is he ever coming back? 
I am so, so sure that he is, when he returns, I don't know. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Scripture says that. But you can be sure because he said it in his word that he is coming back for us. And that is a great and glorious blessed hope that, yes, should strengthen us to make it through this life and should strengthen us to wait well. What happens is we grow weary in the waiting, like he's never coming back. And so what we do is we establish idols and find other broken temporal things to hope in. Do you guys remember this story in Exodus chapter 32? Moses goes up the mountain, thunder, lightning, smoke, clouds, talking with God, getting some tablets, and the people are down at the base of the mountain. And they're like, is he ever coming back? Is he ever coming? Like, he's up there, we're down here. Like, we know we're not supposed to go and touch the mountain. Like, and so, Aaron, we don't know if he's ever coming back. Make us an idol. Aaron, like an idiot, says, okay, take off all your jewelry. And they make themselves the golden calf. Right? That's us. Like, is he ever coming back? Is he ever coming down? So, no, he's not getting well, so then I'll just find my hope in all of this stuff. We're really good. I'm really good at making some idols. I want to wait well. There is purpose. Purpose. God planned, ordained purpose in the waiting. When we don't wait well with eternity in mind, with his blessed return in mind, when we merely focus on the here and now, what Christ does for me here and now, we can gravitate to idols. My own morality, my own self-sufficiency, my own intellect, I, me, me, I, I can gravitate to idols. But we must wait well with eyes fixed on the blessed hope that awaits us, the return of Jesus our faith becoming sight. And it's my prayer that our waiting would be filled with anticipation like Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. And how do I know? How do I know that we struggle in waiting well? With living in anticipation of our blessed hope when Christ returns for his church? I know that we struggle with the waiting because there's very little urgency or excitement to our message and our mission. The church is woefully stagnant. There's very little excitement or urgency to our message and our mission. See, when you talk about waiting for the return of Christ, waiting feels like such a passive word. Right? When we wait for things, we like treat it as if we're killing time. When I'm waiting for someone or I'm waiting for something, the first thing I do is grab this stupid thing. Start scrolling. Start checking out what everybody else is doing with their lives. I don't tend to wait very well. We think of waiting as a waste of time or us just killing time. For the church, for the redeemed, for the ones who have been called out of darkness and into the light of Christ the ones who are awaiting for the appearing of the glory of God, the return of Christ, there should be excitement in activity declaring the hope of Jesus. 
Read our text again, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. It says, To him who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are what? Zealous for good works. It's just not a bunch of do-goodism. Not just a bunch of like good works without purpose or to feel superior or to feel good about ourselves. What's the, I'm going to say this, don't make fun of me. What's the goodest work we could do? Goodest. What's the best work we could do? Right? The most good we could do is to share the hope of Jesus. I want to be zealous about that. While we're making our way through this life, through this world, I want to be zealous, declaring these things, as it says in chapter, excuse me, verse 15. Declaring the hope of Christ. How? How have you experienced the hope of Jesus Christ? It's one of my greatest joys about being a pastor is hearing the testimony of God's people. A few months ago, we did a testimony day. We're like, we just kind of scratched service the way that it was. I shared just a short encouragement, and we just had some people share their testimonies. It's Baptism Sunday. People share their stories of what God has done, how they've experienced the hope of Jesus Christ. We'll do it again, probably after the new year, we'll, before, maybe before we jump back into John. We'll do another day. If you want to share your testimony, come talk to me. i got a couple other people in mind, too. Um, but to hear the stories of how people have experienced the hope of Jesus. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once held in bondage to sin, held in bondage by addictions, but now I've been set free in Jesus, and he is my hope for this life. But even better, he's my only hope for eternal life. Your testimony is a tool for Christ and a wonderful weapon against the enemy of our souls. Do you realize that all of the hurts and pain, like your stories, a lot of your lives, a lot of your stories are riddled with hurts and pain and tragedy, some of you even addiction, struggle, and the enemy of our souls meant that for harm, meant that for destruction, meant that for evil, meant that for death. Read stories like Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, right? That which God has meant for, uh, the enemy meant for evil, God intended for good. God, in Christ Jesus, he redeems all of it. He uses it. He uses the struggle. He uses the suffering. He uses the trial, the hurt, the pain. And he uses it for our growth and discipline, that we would be complete, lacking nothing. But even more, he uses it for his glory that Jesus would shine through our blessed hope as we've been redeemed and made new by him, his grace sufficient for everything, for his glory and acclaim. It's a a glimpse of the blessed hope that awaits us when he returns and makes all things new, as it says in Revelation chapter 21. You and your testimony are the hope of the world. You ever, well, this is a kind of, you are God's hope for the world. Hear me out, okay? I know that it's Jesus. But Jesus and his Holy Spirit dwells in you. God's plan for the salvation of the world is his church. He needs us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. But he has commissioned us 
This was his plan. You people are his plan. I am a part of his plan. Look around the room. It's a motley crew, okay? It's like the start of an 80s movie, right? Where you got like this ragtag group of like unlikely heroes, but yet we're going to save the day. That's what it is because God himself lives inside of you. A few weeks ago, we talked about it, right? When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and I reminded you, he also said that about us. You are the light of the world, right? So go out in this world. Don't hide that light. Don't, don't put it under a bushel. Get out there and shine the light. This is the plan of God, that the world would see the hope of Christ. The world doesn't need a church that's more woke and progressive, The world doesn't need a church that's more hip and culturally relevant. The world needs a church that's actually filled with the power and passion of the Holy Spirit, like when he ignited the church in Acts chapter 2. When he fills the church with his Holy Spirit, like Simeon, full of the Holy Spirit, right? When he sees Jesus. The world needs a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The, church, the, the world needs a church that is unabashedly holds fast to the Word of God, tethered to the Word, in love with the Word, preaching and proclaiming the Word of God. The world needs the church to actually be the church. Church, it's time to rise up to take our place, to carry the hope of Jesus Christ that we've experienced into those dark places in this world, to those who are still bound by sin, that are lost and blind like we once were. We are called to be his ambassadors. He is making his appeal through us, as it says in Corinthians. We need to do a better job of waiting for his return. Stop killing time. Stop gravitating to the worthless idols of this world. If Jesus is your hope, declare that hope. If Jesus is your joy and your peace and your love, get out there and let your light shine because you Us, we are the plan of God for the salvation of the world so that they too can see his hope. How are you waiting? How are you doing in the waiting? If it's not so good, if you're just killing time, knock it off. Repent. Today's our day for the church to actually be the church. I'm going to invite the band to come, and we're going to respond as the Holy Spirit has moved on your heart today. Actually, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Is there anybody anybody in this place uh, that would just make that confession that you have not been waiting very well and you need the Holy Spirit's power in your life so that you will actually be the church of God and just share the hope of Jesus. Is there anybody in here who would make that confession right along with me? Catch up, catch, look, look up and catch my eyes. Thank you. Awesome. That's a, this is all I pray for is just humble hearts before the word of God. Awesome.
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and fill us. God, we ask that you would come and fill us so that we might be your people to the glory of Christ Jesus alone. That as we muddle our way through this life, as we wait for the return of the hope that we found in Jesus, God, when you will come back for your people, for us, God, I pray that we would wait well, declaring the hope that we have sharing the gospel story that you have sown into our hearts. God, let us wait well. I pray that you would empower us. I pray that you would fill us. I pray that you would impassion us. God, that we would see the beautiful purpose that we have in you. No, God, it's not us. not in us except you you're in us you have called us and made us yours you've transformed us and changed us and made us new and someday you will make all things new I pray for our lost family and friends that need to experience the hope of Jesus God embolden us to beautifully share your hope, your love, your joy, your peace, your life with them, God. Help us to wait well and to hold out that hope. Soften hearts, open eyes, and let us see a harvest, not for our acclaim, but God, for yours alone, for the glory of God, for the glory of Jesus. Continue to move us and stir us. And God, allow us, give us boldness and humility, God, to, to keep responding to you with lives surrendered. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, let's stand, let's worship our God together before we go today.